great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna... Thank you so much, Bills Mafia, for your patience. Ryan Talbot just texted me about 10 minutes ago. I, w- I had run upstairs for a little while, and he said, <laughs> I'm back and I'm as handsome as ever. And I must say, my friend, you just look a little bit brighter than usual Chris. today. Can you tell everybody what was going on that led to the technical difficulties and why we're going almost an hour late? Well, 45 minutes late. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the laptop that I use, the webcam on that uh, died out about a year ago. So we bought another webcam for it, had been working fine up until yesterday, plugged it in today for the show. And I looked like I was kind of like in the Matrix. I was half green, um, you know, squiggle lines going through it, tried a few different things and clearly was not working. The webcam had had, uh, run its course. So had, um, my wife ran out, grabbed a new webcam, top of the line, at least top of the line of what they have at Walmart. And here I am, <laughs> crisp and in 1080p, 1080h, that's right. You are looking fresh, my friend. Scott oh, Moranto Scott. says looks looks about 15 pounds skinnier, which maybe that's just because you haven't been eating much because you've been working so hard on the draft the last couple of days. Maybe, maybe, maybe I should have gotten this years ago. That would have helped out a lot. <laughs> Welcome into the Shout Buffalo Football Podcast, the post-2022 draft edition. We are going to be in your life for about an hour here, breaking down this entire thing. 30,000-foot view of what the Bills did to address their uh, roster, their depth chart. We're going to take a kind of a, a quick peek uh, as we move along at the depth chart and where a few positions stand here and, and maybe project them out a little bit uh, as we have minicamp. Rookie minicamp on the horizon, a little bit over uh, two weeks away, a little under two weeks away. Then we'll obviously have OTAs, mandatory minicamp, and then training camp will be here before you know it. Sophia, we got to start with Sophia, who has been literally pounding the table (laughs) for weeks in here. Every time we go live, she is the first person to mention the punt god. And I guess that's as good a place to start as any Ryan Talbot. The Buffalo Bills address punter, Matt Hawk has his competition and, you know, maybe Matt Hawk's not really competition. We'll see. I think Matt Ariza just has to show that he can basically hold the ball so that Tyler Bass can kick it through the uprights. If he could do that at almost a baseline level, I think he beats out Matt Hawk. But Sophia has been calling on YouTube for Matt Ariza, the punt god for weeks. The Bills took him with the first pick in the sixth round. Uh, funny enough, Ryan, the third punter off the board. We'll talk a little bit about that. But your reactions to uh, the punt god, Matt Ariza, now on the roster for the Bills. Yeah, I'll take it a step further. As long as he has a pulse, he's going to beat out Matt Hawk and, and be this team's uh, punter in, in 2022. <laughs> Listen, the, I, I, the Bills, a lot of people make a big deal out of uh, Hawk in terms of his holding ability. Yes, it's true. He, he did a really good job holding for Tyler Bass, but in seasons a lot different than all the all this time now that the Bills have leading up to the season. 
uh, to let Matariza, Matariza uh, get up to speed on holding the ball. And, and it's funny, I'm pretty sure that uh, Nick Novak may have been uh, listening to the, the first presser that that he gave with the Bills because he was asked about holding it. And Nick Novak, uh, previously in this league, works with the punt god. He shared a video out on social media of doing the holding drills and um, Ariza's grabbing the ball or the snap with just one hand. So I don't think it's going to be an issue whatsoever. I think he'll get up to speed pretty quickly. It was a really good pick. And, and Matt, what I really did like about it was uh, he almost took it personally that he was the third punter off the board in this draft. And listen, there was a lot of hype around him leading up to the draft. Uh, he had 280-plus yard punts. He had a ton of 50-plus yarders, 60-yarders, 70-yarders. Uh, it's just the hang time. And I think a lot of teams kind of covet the hang time over the the booming kicks. But that's not to say that he can't get that and, and learn that. So he's going to come in here a little bit angry as well, which you know I like because I, I think that's going to really uh, bring out the best in him early on. I think the Bills had to come out of this draft with a punter. I, I think the things that we heard about Matt Hawk from Brandon Bean do not elicit confidence uh, in the fan base. So, you know, he, that was something that I think that they knew. Cornerback was a priority. I think punter was was one of those as well. So they get who I think a lot of people had as the top punter in this class. I mean, I know he ends up going third, uh, the Penn State kid, Stout, and, uh, and then uh, the other punter, I think, from Jake Georgia. Yep, he went uh, at the second one, both in the fourth round. So, listen, the run on punters started in the Bills, uh, you know, were had to be patient. They didn't have a fourth round pick. They wanted if they would have used a fourth round pick that Brandon Bean said they would have drafted the guy they took in the fifth round, Khalil Shakir, which we're going to get plenty into him in a little while. So get comfortable. Stay tuned for that. But, you know, they get Ariza, who ends up being the third. And I think he goes the, th- the third punter off the board because there's some questions about a few things, not only inexperience Ryan like he's only been punting for a year this is a guy that spent time as a place kicker he he handled kickoffs for San Diego State and he's getting drafted to be a punter and he's he, we talked to him yesterday he's that's what he's focused on now right eventually down the line yeah in a perfect world in a dream world he'd love to be the fir- first NFL kicker to punt kickoff and do field goals like that would be like a super cool thing. He's done field goals for San Diego state for years, but punting now is where he's really like separated himself as a specialist. He does a few things kind of weird. One thing kind of weird. He, he drops the ball with his left hand because he's left-handed and he's left footed. Now, usually you would hold it in the opposite hand, right? Well, he doesn't. So that's something that he's going to work on. And I think because of the timing of that, you know, when you're when you're dropping it with that hand, you don't get the ball down on your drop as quickly as you would if you were doing it with the the opposite hand. So that's going to be really interesting to see if that how that works out for him. But like you mentioned, this guy's got an absolute cannon for a leg. And I think, you know, you're dealing with the elements in Western New York. You, you know, he, he's coming from California. He's probably gonna have to learn how to deal with all of it. But I don't think Tyler Bass spent a ton of time in the elements down at Georgia Southern and he's done just fine. Yeah, absolutely. I like the story uh, that he told with the media yesterday about someone that uh, noticed him kicking and really appreciated the leg that he had. But when he told him that he threw with one hand and kicked with the other, the guy kind of walked away jokingly, of course, but like, oh, man, I I don't know if I want to waste my time on that because of the extra time that you said, uh, because it's a little bit awkward to drop it from an opposite hand. So 
Uh, like that story, like the personality too. I thought he kind of knocked it out of the park with his first meeting with the, the media, as did most, if not all of these prospects. Ryan, what do you think about this? Charles G over on uh, YouTube saying that wouldn't him not having a huge hang time be a plus in the winds of Buffalo? Like on mm-hmm. really windy days, you almost got to cut through it and the power might help him. I, I kind of like that idea. I'm, not, yeah. I'm no pun expert here, though. In theory, it makes sense. So uh, maybe something that we can ask the special teams coordinator about at some point. And listen, you know, in an ideal world, you're not going to need him to boom an 80 yard punt often. But th- there were times where the Bills had trouble getting going. There were times where they were backed up and they got off the field uh, quickly throughout the season last year. There were some duds that they, they had offensively, not a ton of them, but a few. So he can really come in handy in terms of flipping the field in a big time way. And that's certainly something that they did not have last season with uh, Matt Hawk. So let's uh, move on from the specialist. I know that uh, this has been a hot topic over the last couple of weeks and uh, we wanted to lead off with it because uh, there's not a lot of times, especially in draft season, like draft crushes, right? Like you don't always get your draft crush. And I feel like a lot of people really were invested into this punter storyline and for the bills to kind of address it. Uh, Brandon Bean kind of said, you know, during the draft that, Hey, if we don't get a punter, we'll, we'll look at maybe some good guys. that will be on the market afterwards. They don't waste any time. They get the guy that they wanted on, on their roster and talking to Ariza too. Like you could tell, like he'd be like a, you know, a McBean brand of guy, right? Like super big work ethic. You mentioned the chip that he's probably going to have on his shoulder because he was passed over quite a bit. So the story kind of all aligns there. Let's go to the fifth round pick. Uh, The Bills didn't have a fourth rounder. They traded up in the first. We talked about that two days ago on the podcast. And if you're the Bills and and if you're a fan and wanting the Bills to address wide receiver, well, this is who the Bills were targeting had they have kept that fourth round pick. Khalil Shakir out of Boise State. Do kind of everything type of player, Ryan. There's versatility here. Listen, he projects as an interior player, as a slot receiver, right? Um, some people have compared him to Debo Samuel. Some people think that he can maybe, Chris Trapasso, who I hope to have on in the next week or two, uh, says he thinks he could be the next Cooper Cup. And obviously those are huge shoes to fill. But in terms of the style of play, what he tends to do, but the versatility of what the Bills can do with him in their scheme, 4-4 speed, he was the, a receptions beast at Boise state and he finished his college career uh, as in this draft class, the number one graded player that pro football focus had in this draft class at a 92.0 overall grade. So this is a guy that listen, he can do a little bit of everything. He has um, kick and punt return uh, experience as well. If you want to kind of throw him into the mix there, make him a little bit more uh, valuable in terms of a, trying to fight for a roster spot. But listen, I think that this move puts a load of pressure on Jamison Crowder now entering training camp because if if Shakir comes in here and impresses, I feel like you could probably go with him and McKenzie knowing what uh, McKenzie does on this team and start to develop him, get him out on the field sooner rather than later. We saw the last time they had a fourth round pick. I know Shakir's a fifth round pick, but like I mentioned, they were eyeing him in the fourth. They drafted Gabriel Davis and he was pretty good in year one. Yeah, absolutely. Listen, Shakir, in my opinion, is probably their best pick in terms of value. Um, And and I loved reading a lot of what the experts are saying as well. Mike Tice, 
uh, or Nate Tice, I should say, from the athletic side. I would have liked that pick for the Bills if it would have taken place on day two and it happened uh, on day three, not just in, you know early in day three, but in round five. So a whole round went by where the Bills uh, did not see that name come off the board, and then they got aggressive to trade up with the Bears to go get him. Uh, I saw some Bears analysts that were actually upset saying, you know, why wouldn't the Bears just keep that pick and make the same pick, help out Justin Fields? So uh, a lot of value there. There's been some comparisons to a poor man's Debo Samuel. He says Shakir himself says he models his game after Cooper Cup, though, who, um, you know, obviously if he can even be half or 60, 75 percent of what Cooper Cup is, the Bills will be absolutely giddy and thrilled. I think he'd be a weapon for this team sooner rather than later. Yes, they do have Jamison Crowder. They have Isaiah McKenzie, uh, but it, does, it never hurts to have more and more weapons. And he's still someone that you could play on the outside as well, although I think he, he's going to best fit out of the slot. Go over some of the numbers for you guys to get a kind of picture of what he was. Had a career high in yards, uh, receptions, and touchdowns last season uh, for Boise. Uh, 77 catches, 1,117 yards, uh, 14 and a half per reception. And he was the featured guy in their offense and seven touchdowns. First team, all uh, Mountain West, led team in receiving, team captain. Uh, he ran a 4-4-3. He's got a uh, uh, arm length of, of 29 inches. Uh, this is a guy that I just think it's the perfect player to add like kind of player to add to this wide receiver group like you look you know i mentioned i want to go go kind of through the depth chart and this is the way they approach wide receiver this offseason for me is a vote of confidence for gabriel davis so you're starting day one stefan diggs gabriel davis lock them in on the outside there's no emmanuel sanders here there's no john browns here it's going to be the gabriel davis show this year i mean that's the the sense that i get in the slot you're going to have to fight for time when gabriel davis or stefan diggs comes off the off the field sure throw shakir out there he can kind of he can go out and line up on the outside he can line up on the inside he's he even did a, a lot of running back snaps at Boise State too. So if you're starting to imagine how Ken Dorsey can use him in this offense, they can use him as a runner as well. You got Jamison Crowder and Isaiah McKenzie in the slot. They'll probably still continue to utilize McKenzie in that in that uh, you know gadget role. And, and then you have OJ Howard. You have uh, Dawson Knox. And then at receiver, there's a couple of guys. Marquez Stevenson, people people were talking about over the last couple of days, why, why haven't the Bills targeted that long, deep post threat at receiver and they just drafted Marquez Stevenson in the fifth round. This guy's got serious speed, serious wheels, and he's got a whole off season to prepare himself. I think the bills might want to take a look at him and what he can kind of uh, offer in that uh, part of the game. Isaiah Hodgins is still there. You know how much they love Jay Kumro, who can do a little bit of everything. He's probably their best blocking uh, wide receiver, especially at his size. So a lot of different types of player in that room and huge, huge summer for Isaiah Hodgins. Yeah, absolutely. Lastly, I'm going to mention about uh, Khalil, Khalil Shakir. I'm a big fan of obviously the tape, the production, things like that. But in over the last few years has been the raw athletic score. And now the next thing has been the, the next gen stats. And when next gen stats looks at his production in college, and it looks at his athleticism based on his testing from the combine and things like that. And he was uh, one of only four receivers in this draft class to have a production score of over 75 and an athletic athletic score of over 70. Uh, the other ones were Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, and Sky Moore, all guys that went 
pretty high up there on the draft board. Uh, so the, the Bills are getting someone that has all the traits. I think he's going to be a very moldable player in terms of fitting him in exactly to what they want to do in Ken Dorsey's offense. And I think that, uh, like I said, in terms of where they got this player, I think years from now, a few years from now, we might look back and say, man, what a steal that pick was, just like Gabriel Davis was a few years ago. So the the Bills get uh, Shakir, get the uh, wide receiver that I think some Bills fans wanted to see on uh, on day one or day two. Uh, I, I thought the Bills had a really good haul on on day one and day two. We'll talk maybe a little bit more about them too uh, to kind of put a, a, a wrap a bow on that. They get Shakir. They go with uh, Ariza, the punter, in the first pick in the sixth round. Then they come back with one. That, I, I, I don't know. It was a, it was off speed pitch a little bit. I don't know if anybody mm-hmm. uh, anticipated uh, Villanova's uh, FBS cornerback, uh, defensive back, Christian Benford. Really, really interesting selection. And Ryan, we were talking about him before we started here. This is a kid that played a little bit of everything at Villanova. He played some corner. He played he played some safety. And where he lands in the pros. Nobody really quite knows yet. And and Brandon Bean said, they're going to start him at cornerback. They're going to see how it progresses. And he kind of mentioned Micah Hyde as an example. Similar case. Came into the league as a slot corner, but eventually, be, you know, really found his home at safety. That could be the timeline for Benford. But he's a guy that 100% is going to bring it in here, compete every day. They like the kind of juice that he brings. And even though he doesn't, wasn't really on anybody's radar. It seems like from everything that I've heard, everything that you know, Brandon Bean said, this is a Sean McDermott type of guy that he can mold in with the, the image that he wants. Yeah, absolutely. And actually, this goes along with one of the questions we had in the chat, man. Were either of you surprised we didn't draft a safety? Technically, he could end up being a safety for the Bills. And and uh, as Brandon Bean said, you know, start him at cornerback, see how he fares, see how he does. But long term, maybe he he does project best as a safety. When it, when it comes to these small school prospects, the, these players that maybe aren't on the radar, you almost just have to uh, trust Brandon Bean. And not just in general. Look at some of these other small school players that he's drafted over the years. First two names that pop into my head are Taron Johnson and Saran Neal. Uh, Taron Johnson is one of, in, I would say, an elite nickel uh, cornerback in this league. He has proven it time and time again. He had one year where he, you know, he had some ups and downs, but he's been pretty solid throughout his career. Uh, maybe wasn't on a lot of people's radars coming out of Weber State. And, and then you have Saran Neal. And yeah, Saran Neal uh, defensively doesn't play a ton of snaps out there, but he is, I would argue, their, their top special teams player in terms of the coverage unit. So uh, Brandon Bean and company have an eye for these players. And that's the other area where uh, Bedford said that uh, he can kind of, or Benford said he can kind of come in and uh, contribute. He says, you know, he loves playing on special teams. He's played all over on special teams. He's been a gunner. That's where he's also going to try to to kind of come in here and earn that role on this roster as a rookie because they do have some talent in the, in the cornerback room and at safety as it stands. But uh, make the roster this year, carve out a role on special teams and then see where that takes you over the course of this year, then going into year two. I think it's interesting. Like it, you look at the the defensive backs room and what the Bills did at linebacker. There's a couple comments in here about um, the size of Bernard and maybe he potentially could be a safety type of hybrid uh, down the line if they if they want to move in that direction. Super fast. I, I actually started watching some of his highlights and he, the coverage ability of this guy. I think that's what probably stood out to the most to the Bills. I mean, he flies around on the defensive side of the ball and. 
what's more important than anything else, like some of the numbers, like four, five, nine speed. Great. A guy that had uh, a, a ton of sacks. He, he really knows how to operate around the line of scrimmage, but flying around in the secondary, you really have to have a knack and a feel for how the game is played out there. And he just, it seems like he's really reactive. He's really quick on his feet. And sometimes that's been the problem area for Tremaine Edmonds at times, right? Where in coverage, it's almost like he sees something, you know, a half second too late. I'm not saying Bernard is an answer at middle linebacker. He's not. He, he projects as a will, maybe a, a big nickel, eventually, maybe even some safety. They want to use him as a, a hybrid. And interestingly enough, Brandon Bean said that he, what they like so much about him is that he almost blitzes his his uh, in, instincts as a blitzer reminds him of Poyer and Hyde, what they're able to do. But in terms of the Bills not drafting a safety, Ryan, and looking at that room overall, sure, there, there's a lot of questions with what's going on with Jordan Poyer right now. But I think we're sleeping on how much the Bills love DeMar Hamlin mm-hmm. and Jaquan Johnson, who's been in their system now for years. Every time Jaquan right. Johnson's got a chance to play, he's been really good. Last year, I, I think him and Cam Lewis, the, the game that they played together, uh, they both had the best defensive grades on PFF of that game. I mean, there, there's a lot of talent. And when people bring up Cam Lewis as an option at, at cornerback and something that it's not good enough depth, I'm telling you right now, in the building, the way they view these guys that maybe everybody like fans want upgrades from, there's a lot of respect for these guys in the building. A ton of respect. And, and there's uh, one other name, too, that a lot of fans were – really saying, hey, maybe he makes the, the roster uh, over one of those two players that you mentioned, Josh Thomas. He was on the practice squad all year last year, Matt, and mm-hmm. Josh Thomas was someone that was very impressive at training camp and in you know in the uh, preseason. So now he has a whole year of knowing this playbook, uh, working on maybe areas that he needs to improve. You mentioned Hamlin, who they drafted last year, and you have Jaquan Johnson who's been in the system. They have a lot of guys that I think if one of those two safeties went down, if something happens with Poyer, they feel comfortable enough going forward with one of them. Now, that's not saying that they have an option that's going to play at the same level as either of those players or something were to uh, occur injury-wise or whatever the case may be. Uh, but they have confidence in their abilities to come in, plug in, and contribute in their own ways uh, and be productive members of that defense. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. What's up, everybody? Matt Perino here, one half of the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast, here today to talk to you about Prize Picks, America's number one fantasy sports app with more than 5 million members. It is the most fun and exciting way to get in on the action while you watch your favorite sports and players. You just pick more or less on two or more player stats for a shot to win up to 100 times your cash. Testing your skills on prize picks this playoff basketball season is the most simple way to get in on the action. You just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projected stats, and submit your lineup. Quick withdrawals, easy gameplay, and an enormous selection of players and stat types are what makes prize picks the number one fantasy sports app. Download the app today and use code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Again, download the app today and use code SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, for a first deposit match up to $100. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. 
another reminder, I mentioned this a couple of times now, we launched our newsletter and we're going to, the, the next one's coming tomorrow morning. So get yourselves uh, set up for that. Head to Syracuse.com slash newsletters, hit the shout box, go down, down to the bottom, put in your email address, hit sign up, boom, you're in. You will get all of our draft coverage sent to your inbox in the morning. I'm excited for that, Ryan. All right. So Balon Greyjoy. I'm just kidding. Balon Spectre. I'm going to call him Balon Greyjoy. Greyjoy every time. I was actually, we did the Channel 4 uh, draft recap show today, and I, uh, Heather Prusak was asked, uh, talking something about the, the day three picks, and I said, yeah, what about uh, Balon Greyjoy? And she watches Game of Thrones and she's like, don't do that to me because I'm actually going to say that on air one of these times. And I said, that's okay. Say it. I, w- I want to start the movement. But yeah, he was way before the curve because Game of Thrones came out way after he was born. But Balon is a baller name. And one of the things that really stood out from talking to Brandon Bean, looking over a lot of the scouting reports on the Clemson linebacker the Bills took in the seventh round. And don't worry, we're going to get a UDFA download here in a moment from Ryan Talbot, who's been on it. Uh, for the last uh, 24 to 48 hours. He's an edgy player. And the first time you see that on the scouting report, you think, all right, what, what do you mean? Like edgy, like he's good off the edge? No, he plays with an edge. Like he's a really fiery guy. He plays with a lot of passion on the field. He's energetic. He's He's got a little bit of a nasty streak. And I think that's a really good uh, skill set skill set to add to this particular linebacking room. Like, look, look at Tremaine Edmonds, the leader of the group, but him, Matt Milano, Tyrell Dotson, even Andre Smith, they're all kind of like reserved a bit, right? Mm-hmm. AJ Klein was as well. I mean, he's a veteran guy, but very reserved. Adding a little bit of spice, some edge into that linebacker room, I don't hate it at all. Not at all. And again, is he guaranteed a roster spot? No. The, you know, those last two picks, I think, uh, could face an uphill battle. But if, but if he shows that he can bring something a little bit different uh, than, than those players that you mentioned, those those back end players, the depth players, um, then he could absolutely carve out a role on this team. Maybe it's on special teams early on and, and to, waiting for his opportunity. But th- there's nothing wrong with, with looking at those options and trying to upgrade the, the back end of the unit, the depth, so to speak. Uh, I'm really excited to see what he can do this summer. Uh, you know, the, the Bills brought him in for a reason. They, they double dipped at that linebacker position, neither of which are are guys that would come in necessarily for a Tremaine Edmonds. But if he can carve out a role in special teams, maybe that's bad news for Medikevich and Andre Smith. Um, you know, he could push some of these guys that are that have held on to those final spots in the 53-man roster in the last year or two uh, and and carve out his own role here going forward. You look at this draft class and there's, you know, there's potential for playing time for a few guys. I mean, there's path to playing time, none more than Kyer Elam. And maybe let's take Elam out of it because right now, if you were projecting the CB1 competition, I know he's going to go into a really tough competition with Dane Jackson, but I think we'd all probably agree that he's the odds on favorite to win that CB2 job. And who knows where Tredavious White is? And that's a whole another side conversation. But who do you think from rounds two to seven of that? crop who has the best chance to make a 2022 impact the biggest 2022 impact 
I'm going to go James Cook uh, just because of the fact that I could see, I already see the role that they're going to have carved out for him. It's going to be very similar to what they were probably hoping to use JD McKissick for uh, in terms of being that back out of the backfield to catch the, the balls. But in addition to being a pass catcher, you know, he, he averaged over six yards per carry all four seasons at Georgia. So he can run the ball a little bit too. He He's a little bit uh, lighter. So you don't want to take him. You don't want to see him take too many hits. That is, uh, but if he can add a little muscle to his frame, which he will over time, you could even give him a, a heavier workload there. I just think that he's going to come in and be that one-two punch uh, with Devin Singletary. And yes, I know they they have uh, Duke Johnson and they still have Zach Moss and and they have some other backs that you know that are going to be that were brought in as UDFAs. But when you really look at this thing, one, you don't draft a guy like that this early in the draft if he's not going to come in and, and have a big role. You can make uh, a case for the punk god in terms of flipping the field. And I think Shakir long term has that. But for 2022, my money's on James Cook. What about you, Matt? So, yeah, I'd probably go Cook. Uh, but to be a little bit different, I'm going to say Shakir. And, and there's a few reasons why I think he has a chance to touch the ball more than cook even is because you figure Singletary is going to be on the field quite a bit. I mean, he's going into his fourth year. I think he's the most trusted running back unless cook comes in and just absolutely blows uh, their mind. I would, if, if he was walking into a starting role, I'd probably go with him just because he could probably touch the ball the most, but I think there could be a world that we live in depending on, you know, injuries or even with the work that he does in training camp where, he just gets the ball the most. And I feel like that on offense, it has to be the, the the path to the biggest impact is when you get a chance to play the, play the game. I know there's some people ahead of him, but I'm really thinking over the last 24 hours about what this pick means for Jamison Crowder. If Jamison Crowder somehow is not in the mix and not on this roster, like I think the, the stock goes way up on Shakir and listen, this is a four year guy at Boise. And this is not like somebody that's coming in here that, lacks experience. He he did a lot of things at the college level. And I think he's going to come in here day one, just listening to him talk yesterday. Like this is a dude that's like, he, he's super focused. He, he went a little bit later than I would imagine. He thought he was going to go. He had a fourth round grade from Dane Brugler. I was just looking at that before we started right below uh, Wondell Robinson, who went to the giants and uh, Calvin Austin. They were the two guys ahead of him on Brugler's wide receiver rankings. And both of them had third, fourth round grades. And so I think this is a guy like, you know, there's some drop issues, I guess, last season. He had 10 on the year. But we all remember somebody for the Bills that had some drop, a bit of bit of the dropsies, Mr. Dawson Knox, who absolutely skyrocketed in this offense. And I think this is this is an offense tailor-made for guys that can do multiple things that can offer something that other guys can't. And I'm not saying that. You know, he's probably going to do a lot of the same things that they've used McKenzie to do before. But I think the biggest difference is maybe that versatility to get outside. And we know that when when Gabriel Davis or, or Stefan Diggs come off the field, they're going to send somebody out there. And if Shakir can, you know, earn that job right behind those two guys, that's going to be him and that's going to be opportunities. And, you know, Gabriel Davis took full advantage of that his rookie season. 
Absolutely. And, you know, Bill's fans, obviously, you can look at uh, some of his film from the Boise State games and things like that. But even go and look at uh, the senior bowl practices. He was dominant in the red zone uh, during those drills. He was he had a really dominant week against some of the best in the country. So, uh, you know, he, he helped, you know, he proved himself there, too, against some of the best of the best. I think this is going to end up being a great fit for the Bills. And, and maybe, you know, Matt, maybe you're right. Maybe if Crowder deals with a lower body injury, something that has uh, come up quite a bit over the last few years, maybe the opportunity comes for him to make a, a bigger impact right out of the gate as a rookie. Uh, Pops is asking on YouTube, can Shakir return punts? Yes, he returned nine of them this past season. I think he probably wanted to get that into his repertoire uh, so teams knew that he can do it. I don't necessarily know that he... Uh, projects as an every punt uh, return guy, but you know, who knows? He's probably going to get a chance to get out there and, and get in the mix. I, it's funny projecting the, the punt kick return battle for this year the, the bills really didn't address it by bringing in a specific specialist. I mean, the right. odds on favor probably at this point is Isaiah McKenzie to get another ch- crack at it. Yeah, I, I would think so. Uh, you know, he had some opportunities. Stevenson did as well. Maybe he'll get another crack at it. But you're, you're right. There's no one that was brought in specifically uh, with that skill set to handle those responsibilities. So it's going to be an open competition again this year. All right, let's go through some of these AFC East teams. Uh, Miami Dolphins didn't do a lot. Obviously, have Tyreek Hill now uh, sent a first round draft pick uh, to the Kansas City Chiefs to acquire him. But uh, listen, I think the, the the draft that the Jets had immediately make the makes the AFC East more competitive because, you know, I think that in a lot of ways, like I've mentioned on the show multiple times now, I think that they've passed the Patriots. I mean, I think they need basic average level quarterback play from Zach Wilson to be the third best team in this in this conference mm-hmm. or in this division. So you look at their draft. They start off with um, Sauce Gardner the top cornerback by most in this draft. He's going to now pair with Bryce Hall, who, by the way, remember Bryce Hall, Ryan? He went uh, a couple of drafts ago. He went five picks before the Bills took Jake from. Isn't mm-hmm. that funny how that works out? He was a, yeah. a Bills draft crush at that time. He's going to be in the mix for the Jets. They come back at 10. They take um, Garrett Wilson. Then they get who fell in the first round. A lot of people thought that Florida State's Jermaine Johnson was going to be a top 10 pick. The, the Jets trade back up into the first round to get the edge rusher. So and all of a sudden, they're adding players all over the place on their roster. It looks a lot different. What did you like the most that the Jets did? Well, you know, obviously addressing the cornerback spot uh, in a confer in a division, I should say, when you're going against the likes of Stefan Diggs, Gabriel Davis, uh, Tyreek Hill now. You want to have a, a guy that can hopefully lock down those players. So I, I really like that pick right out of the gate. You know, there were some mock drafts projecting them to take a cornerback. There was somewhere they went with an offensive tackle early on and then came back with a receiver. You know, it's always good to add weapons for your quarterback, though, and they did that with Wilson. They did that with Brees Hall in round two. Like you said, they had a really solid draft class, but like some Bills fans also noted when I made a comment about it, you better hit a home run on paper when you have such high picks, when you trade back into round one and you have, you know, the top consensus running back fall into your laps uh, the next round. These are all things that you should be able to do when your team's been this bad. So if Zach Wilson takes a decent sized step this year, yeah, they could be in the mix for the number two team in the AFC, along with the Dolphins and the Patriots. Now, obviously, that's a, that's a big if because quarterback play, you just never know. 
Uh, Wilson had some highlights last year, but he also had plenty of lowlights. Check out this quick run through their depth chart. And I think their offensive line is better. Uh, also, they didn't address it in the draft, but, you know, they bring in Lakin, Tom, Lakin Tomlinson uh, to join uh, some young talent. I mean, if Mackay Beckton figures it out uh, and he can be a, a serviceable left tackle, I, I like some of the things they have going on there. They signed CJ Zoma. Uh, who's now their number one tight end. They drafted Jeremy Ruckert, who a lot of people liked uh, in this class. Then at the receiver position, you're looking at Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis on the outside. Elijah Moore, who uh, we talked a lot about in the draft season last year. They still brought back Braxton Berrios. And now at the, they have a, you know, a three-headed monster at running back. It's really interesting. Michael Carter, uh, Tevin Coleman, and they draft Brees Hall, who a lot of people thought the Bills were linked to. That doesn't end up happening. That offense looks completely different than the New, England, the, the, the New York Jets offense from last season. All right, let's move over to the Patriots really quick. It was a strange draft <laughs> for Mr. Bill Belichick, I, I would have to say. Uh, starts off with Cole Strange uh, trading down, letting the, uh, which is surprisingly, it was surprising to me. Trent McDuffie, to me, who the Chiefs traded up to 21 with the Patriots to get, I thought that would have been a slam dunk, run to the podium type of pick for Bill Belichick at 21. But he doesn't go that direction. He doesn't get one of the linebackers that were on the board at that spot either. Instead, he trades back and surprises everyone with an interior offensive line, Cole Strange. A lot of the experts had a third third to fifth round grade on the guy, which if he ends up being good at that spot and, and maybe there was just a misevaluation on it, fine. I mean, that was important. They lost uh, a few guys. They lost Shaq Mason. They lost Ted Karras. Uh, a lot of moving parts on this New England offensive line that's had, you know, they lost Joe Tooney two years ago. So getting better on the interior of the offensive line, likely a priority with with Mac Jones, who doesn't have much mobility. But the biggest issue that I have is not address, finding a way to address the skill position at all. I mean, you're still looking at a, a, a wide receiver group that's Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, they they got Devontae Parker, but I don't necessarily know if he's if he helps. And then they traded up to get Tyquan Thornton, who I thought was a a reach if they had stayed five spots back and picked him. They traded up to get him right. Yeah, you know, starting out with Cole Strange, the one thing I really hated about it is there there were some evaluators that said second round, then trade back again. Even if you're picking him early in the second round, that doesn't look nearly as bad as it does trading down once and still uh, taking him in the first round. You mentioned if he becomes a good player, maybe it was a misevaluation. Maybe, but by all accounts, you could have traded down again. There was talk that at uh, pick 32 that the Vikings were taking calls. They admitted that you know they had some people that were trying to trade with them to get into the mm-hmm. first round. There's no doubt in my mind that the Patriots could have had people calling them as well, saying, hey, you know, how about you trade back again, acquire more picks, uh, try to add to that defense as well that couldn't stop the Bills the last two games from – getting off the field. You could still get Cole Strange in round two and, and pick up some more, you know, picks and ammo to address those areas as well. And they just didn't do that. Uh, as for the receiver, yeah, blazing fast speed. Um, but you don't have a, a quarterback that has a rocket for an army that you're just going to say, go run a go route. Uh, th- there's a lot to be desired with the route running. Uh, in my opinion, maybe he develops, maybe he comes along and he is a real asset for this offense, but that was even a, a reach. So the first two picks were uh, surprises by all accounts. We're after the draft and we got some time to put a, s- some real evaluations together. But how do you look at this division? Who are what's the toughest game on the on the on the schedule for the Bills in the AFC East? And how do you think these teams finish a way too early AFC East prediction? Ryan Talbot, throw it on me. Yeah, well, I, I think the toughest of the three is the Dolphins. Um 
I'm still not a believer in the quarterback, but I'm not a believer in the quarterback for any of the teams, minus uh, the Bills, obviously, in the AFC East. There's still questions about Mac Jones and, and how much higher his ceiling is. There's still questions about Zach Wilson and the step that he takes. Tua just needs to be a decent game manager. They have a solid defense. Uh, they add Tyreek Hill to this thing. They've been in, in. They've been competitive the last two years, mind you. They've gotten off to some rough starts, uh, but I think you know they're going to try to well, not just try to. They're, they're going to avoid that this year with McDaniel's in charge. So I think Miami's the biggest threat, but I still I still think there's a sizable gap there. So I'll say Miami though second in the division. I'm still going to take New England for third um, because it's going to come down to Zach Wilson. I'm not sure what kind of stride he's going to take. So Jets still in fourth, but it's a lot more competitive. It's it's not a runaway for the Patriots to end up in third by any stretch of the imagination. The NFL draft is in the books. The Bills uh, added to a couple positions uh, uh, that I think fans wanted to see addressed, uh, specifically cornerback. I think linebacker is one that, you know, I think some fans would have liked to maybe uh, the next iteration of middle linebacker that doesn't come in this draft. I, I don't think that Tremaine Edmonds is uh, is headed out of town in, in in any universe at this point. As a matter of fact, we've talked about this on a couple of shows. I think we talked about it on our Twitter spaces earlier today. There's going to be a real decision for the Bills to make about the long term plan at the position because it's nuanced. It's like if you don't re-sign Tremaine Edmonds before the season and he has a big season, then you might be stuck in a situation that you're going to either have to franchise tag him or overpay him if you think you're overpaying him and or overpaying for the position. It doesn't even have to be overplaying the player. You could love Tremaine Edmonds. Robert Sala could come to town and give you an unbiased report and say, that dude is a unicorn. He's one of the best middle linebackers in the league. The problem is the position and what the money that you're kind of putting towards that spot. Now, Another thing that's popped into my head, Ryan, with uh, the signing of Terrell or the drafting of Terrell Bernard is, is this potentially a Matt Milano replacement after this season so they can pay Tremaine Edmonds? Mm. It's interesting because they're, you know, Brandon Bean builds outs into his contracts all the time. Uh, It's a possibility. But you're going to be asking to see a lot on film from Bernard as a rookie to make you that comfortable to do that. Because Milano, when he's healthy, when he's on the field, he is great. Uh, It's obviously been an issue, though, with the health at times. So it's something to monitor. Uh, When it comes to Edmonds, listen, uh, he hasn't warranted a big payday to date. I'm sure whatever his agent is looking for, the Bills aren't comfortable paying it right now. So if he goes out and just has the season of all seasons um, and, and it puts the Bills in a tough spot, I would rather be there than overpaying him now based on what we've seen early in his career. He makes plays. I'm not saying he doesn't, but he's very inconsistent. He still gets lost sometimes in coverage. He's still over pursues. For someone that's been in the system as long as he has, I still just have these concerns over the the same mistakes that he makes over and over and over again. Still a very good linebacker, but is is he someone that should be being paid in the top five, top ten? Uh, of those, you know, middle linebackers, inside linebackers in the league. I don't know. I, I get the wingspan. I get the athleticism. I get that he is a unicorn of sorts. But this might be that first player, Matt, where we sit there and say, well, they can't pay everyone. You let him play out his contract. You walk away. You, you sign a veteran uh, or a cheaper option in free agency. And then you go to the draft either uh, day one or day two, more likely day two, to find a replacement for him or someone that can come in and compete for that spot. Maybe easier said than done, but 
Uh, you know, we've been talking now, it feels like for a long time about you can't keep everyone. And yet the bills have found ways to juggle it and, and make it work today. That day is going to come and it might come down to a, do we pay Dawson Knox this amount of money? Do we pay Tremaine Edmonds this amount? And it's going to come down to, you know, who's been more consistent down the stretch last year. Obviously Knox had a great year. If he follows it up again this year, I, I think you're much better off paying him. Uh, to be a top tight end in this conference, in this league, when you consider the age and, and the athleticism over Edmonds, where, you know, linebacker is as athletic as he is, you can find replacements for that role. So Matt Milano in March restructured structured his contract to give the Bills a l- about $5 million in, in cap space for 2022. The restructure converted $6.46 million of his base salary into a signing bonus, which he gets right away. But that number gets uh, spread out over the life of the contract. So actually, like what I was thinking was a contract that was much more convenient to get out of it after two years. It's not as convenient as you'd think, actually, now that I'm looking at it. He's got a 13 a million dollar cap hit in 2023, same in 2024 to get out of it in 23, the bills would have to eat an $8.6 million dead cap charge. And I don't think that that's going to happen. And even in 2024, you're looking at a 5.6 million dead cap charge, which would give the bills about 8 million uh, ish, a little less than 8 million in cap space. But I don't know, even know at that point if that would be enough. And then that's a question for them. And that there'd have to be some injury situations. But maybe the more I sit here and think with it, they, you draft Terrell Bernard to get an idea of what it looks like. Should Matt Milano go down for an extended period of time? Or if Tremaine Edmonds goes down for an extended period of time, what does this coverage unit look like with two will linebackers and maybe throwing out another linebacker uh, Tyrell Dotson or something like that and see what it looks like with four guys out there. Um, I know it's not the traditional look that they play with or, or heck, I mean, keep Taron Johnson. He plays like linebacker half the time anyway. Yeah. It gives them some flexibility. Bernard, I I know a lot of fans are like, why are you bringing this Milano uh, Milano clone in, in terms of the height, weight, speed, you know, there are times where they, they're going to want to run out of a 4-3 base and you can kind of use him in that area. You can use him as a big nickel, as you mentioned. He's not just going to be someone waiting in the wings for Milano's contract to end. They're going to utilize him on, on defense at times. They're going to utilize him on special teams. So th- there's a plan in place. They had a private workout with him. He knocked it out of the, the park. Uh, they came back and said, yeah, this guy picked up our, you know, our, everything we asked of him right out of the, out of, off the bat. I uh, didn't allow a touchdown in coverage during his career. He has this really solid athleticism. He's coachable. He's teachable. You just take him because he was probably standing out on their board at that point in the draft. Um, one other team I want to kind of get, well, maybe two other teams I want to get to in the draft here because uh, the chiefs and the Ravens, let's start with the chiefs because listen, I know Tyree kills not on that team anymore, uh, but they still have Patrick Mahomes and they brought in a, they've kind of thrown a bunch of darts and, and if any of them stick, this is still going to be a pretty potent offense. And so they go out and they sign Marquez Valding Scantling. Uh, he, uh, Juju Smith-Schuster was signed before the Hill deal. And then they draft Sky Moore. So they've already reimagined their wide receiver room. They still have McCole Hardman on the roster. Uh, the offensive line stays intact. They don't add anywhere else in the draft on the offensive side. Uh, they, they bring in Darian Kennard, who is a depth guard. He can maybe uh, compete. Uh, for a starting job, but he'll probably be one of the first guys off the bench. They're getting better on their offensive line, adding more depth. Um, they went out and signed Ronald Jones. I like what they did on defense more than anything. 
Uh, George Karloff, this late in the first round. Trent McDuffie, they traded up and got him. So they're adding a, a corner, one of the tops in this league. And then Leo Chennault, the linebacker, uh, I believe it was Wisconsin. Uh, yeah, Wisconsin linebacker. This is a dude, I, lis- I was listening to Greg Cosell on Chanel, who thinks that maybe he has the potential to be the best linebacker in this class. He plays with his hair on fire. The the scouting report on him from some people that I've heard, Cosell included, reminds me a lot of what people were saying about Willie Gay, which, oh, by the way, they're not going to be teammates. Now, the Chiefs did a lot of work in this draft. I really like what they did. Yeah, defensively, I love what they did as well. Uh, Sky Moore, his comparison was actually uh, MVS there, the, the receiver they signed in free agency. So a very similar receiver. Uh, you know, it's interesting. I, I thought that Kelvin Austin, the third could be on their radar. He's not the same as Tyree kill, but he has a lot of the same intangibles, but they went a little bit different of a route with sky Moore. but I like sky Moore his, his game as well. Uh, I'm interested to see what the offense looks like, but they answered a lot of their issues on the defensive side of the ball, where there were some games last year where they had some absolute duds. Uh, and it was, there were shootouts and the offense, you know, wasn't able to keep up in a few of them in the regular season uh, so if you can shore up that defense, it's going to help when you do have those occasional bad games with Patrick Mahomes and company. It doesn't happen a lot, just like it doesn't happen a lot with Josh Allen and, and company, but it does happen. The Ravens are going with an interesting approach. They don't need receivers, apparently. <laughs> yeah. um, now, they did take two tight ends in this draft, which says something to me. They trade Marquise Brown to the Arizona Cardinals. When was the, Lamar Jackson at his best? When they had a three-headed monster at tight end. Back when, you know, before uh, Hayden Hurst was still uh, on the roster. Uh, who was that other guy that they really liked? Mark Andrews, obviously. Hayden Hurst. Mm-hmm. There was one other one. Whoever it was. That's when Lamar Jackson was at his best. It's like, how do you guard all of these tight ends? The NFL struggled to deal with that. Well, they're going back to that. They draft uh, uh, Isaiah Likely, who the Bills actually had in for a 30 visit. Charlie Kohler. Uh, they don't do any work at the at the receiver position, but they draft Tyler Lindenbaum, the top center in the draft. So you figure they get Ronnie Stanley back. Morgan Moses uh, is in the mix now as well. That offensive line is probably a little bit better. And then they went heavy defensively. Travis Jones, interior. David Ojabo, the, the edge rusher, who a lot of people thought was a first-round mm-hmm. talent out of Michigan. He won't play this year for the injury, but they'll have him beyond. And obviously the biggest pick of the draft for them, Kyle Hamilton. I mean, this is, again, with some returning pieces on, on both sides of the ball for the Ravens. They're, they're going to be a lot better. Yeah, listen, it feels like every year, like the Max stud Williams, player. Yeah, it seems like every year a stud player falls into their laps. And this, you know, Kyle Hamilton and Oja, even Ojabo, I, I like him a lot in terms of uh, what he can be in this league. And he goes from one Harbaugh to the other. And one of his coaches is on this staff now. Uh, that's going to be a good fit. They do the tight ends. But, you know, maybe they have a lot of confidence in Rashad Bateman. Uh, I think he was a first-round pick last year to really step up and, and take on that role that Hollywood Brown had. Uh, but it was still a little bit surprising. And obviously, even though Lamar was supposedly in the loop, he didn't seem like that was the case on social media. Um, you, you're not doing him any favors by taking away one of his his receivers necessarily. But, you know, if you're Lamar, if you're looking to cash in here sooner rather than later, when you're ready to do it, it sounds like he's the one that's kind of held off the talks with Baltimore. Uh, If he has all these tight ends again where he was really thriving, maybe it's going to be a good thing for him. It's just kind of a wait and see. Somebody asked what happened to Cole Beasley. Cole Beasley's still a free agent. He was working out with Baker Mayfield, who is in a free agent. He's technically on the Browns, but, you know, they're they're trying to find a home for him. And the draft has passed and nobody 
wants to give Baker Mayfield a home, um, which I, I don't really blame them. I mean, after watching him the last couple of years, uh, give me a final thought here, Ryan, on this, uh, this Bill's draft, this Bill's roster. Well, I'll give you a final thought on the roster, and it goes along with Barbara's question about Beasley. The Bills don't have a lot of roster spots open right now, especially after bringing in 10 undrafted free agents so far. Uh, but but now's the time where maybe they can go back and say, hey, listen, obviously the first, second, third, fourth wave of free agency have come and gone. The draft's come and gone. We have X amount of cap space. If you want to come back for this amount of money, uh, because we still think it's a position where you could compete for a role, Come on back. It's not just Cole Beasley. You still have Jerry Hughes out there. You still have Mario Addison out there. Uh, AJ Klein, someone mentioned. And, and yeah, they've added the linebacker. I don't know if there's a path for Klein, but a lot Mario, of these bills. Mario Addison's dead to me. Oh. He blocked me on Twitter. I don't even know oh. what I did to him. <laughs> As I say, I know he made a visit, I thought, with like the Saints or something. But I, didn't think he'd I thought you were going to tell me. <laughs> no, he really did block me on there. Twitter. I have no idea what I said. I looked on all my tweets. Like, did I say something really nasty about him? I think during one of the playoff games, I said, I tweeted that he missed more ta- more sacks than he actually has in mm. his two years for the Bills, and maybe he took offense to that. I don't know. If you're watching, maybe. I don't think you're watching, Mario, but sorry, buddy. I didn't mean to offend <laughs> you. So, you know, so those those uh, Bills fans looking for maybe some of their uh, favorites, maybe one or two could return, and I see yeah, Beasley d- doesn't want to come back. Maybe not, but the longer you sit out there without a home, uh, if, if the Bills do show any kind of interest, maybe you do return. Who knows? So that, that's my final thought. What about you, Matt? The one question that they answered for me, and that is Brandon Bean, and this is just like an, a larger point. We get so like caught up in the research that we do or the film that we watch as mostly, let's be honest, amateurs uh, in that department. Brandon Bean have, have, has had so many hits in the draft. I think sometimes my read on a draft pick comes down to at this stage of covering him and this team is – how they feel about a player and what that player means to them. And I was pretty high on Kyler Gordon. I I thought that there was interest there. I had him higher than, than Kyer Elam going into the draft, but now three days have passed. And I realized that they liked Elam more. They liked all of the intangibles, not just the speed and the potential upgrade as a coverage player, but all the other stuff, like we see, uh, I can't wait to watch it. Actually, you brought it up to me before the show. There's video out there of like one of the 30 visits where he was actually bringing out his notebook and, and going over his uh, the X's and O's of his game with the the coaching staff. That kind of stuff screams in the interview room with this regime. Guys that are invested, guys that are you know football guys, love ball, love love learning, love getting better, and you could just get that vibe off of Elam. And then all the other stuff, like. One of the big hangups I had during the process was his inability to be a great tackler. And the due diligence that the Bills did is they talked to him and like, you know, Florida had him playing a certain way to be an elite coverage player. And maybe they neglected tackling a little bit. And maybe that hurt him individually in the process, something that he now knows that he has to get better at. And he's the kind of high level athlete that I think probably works to get better at it. Yeah, you know, that, that's great. And for Bills fans that didn't see that yet, the, the clip of uh, Kyrie Elam, he has this notebook where he goes over uh, things that he did poorly, you know, things that he could get better at, um, mistakes that he can learn from. He says, a copycat league, so I write down the routes, all this other stuff. Really impressive. Check it out when you can. Uh, somebody said that would do it, Matt, uh, for why Addison would block me on uh, on Twitter. I, it wasn't really a nasty-hearted tweet. It was more of... Man, doesn't it seem like the guy is always around the quarterback? That's one thing that really stood out to me about Addison's two-year run with the Bills. And he led the Bills in sacks this year. And I've given him his kudos on that. I mean, he was, you know, 
especially at a reduced role, still effective at sacking the quarterback. Man, I thought he could have had double-digit sack seasons. That's how much he was around the quarterback. And I guess mm. that was the point that I was trying to make more that gets lost on social media sometimes, Ryan. It's the danger of the medium. Part of the business. Also part of the business, signing up for the Shout Buffalo Bills newsletter. Head over to Syracuse.com slash newsletters. And you can sign up today. You'll get all of our content delivered to your inbox. Thank you so much, everybody, for coming along with us on this journey. That is it. That is five shows over five hours of shout football content on draft week. We were we, we were aiming for uh, to hit that that number that that uh, moment, and we've hit it. We were, we're there. It's done. Uh, we appreciate all of you guys for watching. It was a marathon, Ryan, but we we paced ourselves. We got through it. Even some late night. Uh, offerings as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's still best time of the year. Love the the draft, everything that comes with it. So thank you, Bills Mafia, for all your support. All right. We will be back on Wednesday. I'll I'll, I'll do some work and we could get Chris Trapasso on, get a little bit of his his reaction to the draft. Um and we'll start getting ready for minicamp. It's going to be here before you know it. OTAs, mandatory minicamp, and then Wow, six weeks. At the end of that, it'll be six weeks to Rochester. Mm. Pittsburgh Pub, here I come. Let's get it. All right, everybody, over and out. Enjoy the rest of your weekend and next week. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast. Hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot.